We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I just like the sound. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, happy new year from your boys over at Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Deus at The Lame Show is where you can find me at Veterans Minimum is where you can find the show everywhere in front of me. I have some New Year's resolutions, some New Year's goals for the show. But as always, my guy, A-double-L-E-N underscore Stark. What up, baby? 2020, we're here. We are here. Uh, We made it through 2019. Overall thoughts on 2019. Good year, bad year, in between? Where you at? I would say in between. I enjoyed everything about Jorge Masvidal becoming the superstar that he is now. And I thought it was a good football season. Like, I remember 2017 was a real down year. Like, I remember the first 10 weeks, like, p- points were down. Just maybe because a little bit of the protesting brought it down because it was, like, a lot of negativity towards just football and just all of this tension. But last year, but especially this year, just seeing the rise of quarterbacks like Lamar and you know, Russell Wilson becoming like a real MVP candidate. I thought football in general was really good. So maybe a couple of dead weeks, but especially some of the games we had in December. Like one of the awards we're going to pick is game of the year. And it was difficult. Like there were some really good games this year. I think there is one definitive game of the year we'll get to okay. a little bit later. But yeah, man, uh, I do think, you know, we... um. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, I had the year in review. I had uh, the good brother Tim and Impy on the show. Um, and it was cool. We ran through the, the, the year. And I actually, the, uh, I believe it was the, the moment of the year for me was the Mazda Dal Knee. 
had to be. Ha- had to yeah. be, right? I literally, because st- we watched it together, I literally stood on a chair and I'm just like, that did not just happen. Like, it, it felt like a World Cup moment for me. Just like, how would, did, is this possible? Just at that moment, just from that angle, it was just insane. Yeah, dude. Ah, oh, so good. Uh, all, all my feelings for that, you can listen to on the year in review show cheap plug but for me man 2019 was dope bro i gotta say you know 2018 sucked um if i had to do a uh, power ranking of the 28 years of my life 2018 was easily the number one draft pick as far as like what was the worst and i can't even tell you what the two seed would be so to go from that to 2019 really being super fucking cool from just a lot of things you know i did some growing i finally figured out what i'm gonna do which was very fulfilling yeah it's always important yeah yeah you know because for the longest time man i didn't know what i was gonna do um i was gonna be a cop i was gonna be a teacher i was gonna do this a bunch of shit and then started doing a podcast fell in love with that love doing it to this day or else i wouldn't be doing it um taking the next step in my quote-unquote nine to five job with uh with my father and i making an investment in the food truck and i got my shit in order man you know i I cut out a couple of things and people in my life that were holding me back from one way or another and it was just something i needed to do and all encouraging things i I feel i feel so good man i can honestly say and you know to anyone that's going through some shit um i've tweeted this out i mentioned it before like it's really important to remember that with time it'll subside Mm -hmm. it just will and i feel like I'm a good example to say that because I'm living that, yeah. you know? And like I said, um, it's been well-documented. I'm, I'm comfortable with sharing my story too. And yeah, man, it's just, I'm good. I'm happy. You're on board with VM. I sent you there a nice little message on New Year's. I'm, I'm proud of you and the stuff you've been able to grow and uh, being a part of the show. Um, I sincerely mean that mm-hmm. for you being involved and, and to the guys behind the scenes. You guys know who you are, Alex, Taryn, Phil, Mike, Dom, the editor. Uh, shout out to all you guys. And most importantly, everyone that listens. Uh, oh, yeah. Coming off a really, really stellar year. We got picked up by a, a podcast network, which is dope. It's going to open up a lot of doors for the show. We got a dope-ass guest to kick us off the new year, a guy I'm a super big fan of, Danny Kelly from The Ringer. So it's good vibes only, you know what I'm saying? Damn right, and it's playoff time. And it's playoff time. We're coming up on now. It's the 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 granddaddy of them all we're building towards that the best teams uh it's it's a good time man it's a good time and we got big fight in a couple weeks big fight in a couple weeks i'm (laughs) going to miami in two weeks shout out to the 305 holla at me i will be down there if you run to mazal you better get a picture (laughs) oh dude i'm trying i'm trying to get uh jared to um See if he has any connects down in Miami to maybe pull off something. Cause you know, I, I wanna I, I wanna mention what are what are some of your goals, man, both um personal, uh with the show. Like I, what would you like to do? I think more it's just kind of branching out. I've been mostly a football guy for all life, although I have dabbled into music and entertainment working at Billboard. So I think now it's just kind of more finding my niche. I'm still kind of in that transition influx stage where it's just kind of wanting to find more no i guess not for my denny person i know what i want to do it's just more finding that uh, support system slash just being able to take more the initiative because you know there's times especially when you're a writer working in industry you get kind of limited so like this is like the first season i didn't cover any i didn't get to travel so i was kind of disappointing 
because for most part when I cover the Falcons, I get to travel two, three times a year. This is the first year I didn't do any traveling. So I was kind of disappointed. But now it's just trying to figure out ways. Because of course you want to stay creative. You want to keep trying to build your follower list and just wanting to you want to please people. But there's times in life where it's just like I gotta be I the self acceptance is very key. I think that's one thing I've learned where it's just like, okay, we're chasing that acceptance. You want people to be on board with your work. But sometimes you just have to realize, is this worth it? Am I really gonna make this sacrifice? So that's kind of like what I'm at right now, just trying to find that balance. But when it comes to the show, I'm just I'm very excited to get back in the podcast because I've been out of the game for like two years. And I think now when you're working in media, I think you need to have some sort of platform. It doesn't necessarily have to be podcasts. If you want to do video, if you want to do radio, which I know radio might not be those popular things these days, but if you're on like Sirius or CBS, whatever it may be, do your thing. But I think if you're working in media, you need to have some sort of digital outlet. You can't just prioritize on writing because, yeah, writing is great and if you want people to be enamored with your work but i think you have to have some sort of digital platform so that's why I'm really grateful to be with veterans minimum and just glad to be doing podcasts especially with you someone i have a really good rapport with because that's also very important nah man for sure uh, i couldn't agree with you more like um but you need you need that pat on the back you need that validation yeah uh whether you you know it might be an ego thing or a pride thing where you're like oh i could do it myself it's like no you can't Right. Well, um, I got to say, you're one of the big reasons why I even made the move to Blue Wire because you were like, yo, man, look, being independent is dope. Um, The do it yourself thing. It's cool. But kind of felt like I hit my ceiling yeah. as a quote unquote indie darling. Yeah. Right. So we needed to to to, to make a move. And it was cool because, you know, uh, the show took a turn and I, I took control of the show. And it was very validating to see like, yo, this shit works, you know, mm-hmm. not going out on Friday nights and Saturday nights mm-hmm. to stay home and think of ideas to shoot videos and whatnot you know like a lot of people it might seem like sudden changes to people like now we have the patreon coming up right like i've been doing this stuff for four months now it's all sports betting and dfs well that's that has ended and we're trying to you know create some new content for the patreon members and this isn't a, a plug this is like yo alan and i have been talking about this since like the beginning of october right it's like you wanna you don't wanna just it might seem like it's coming out of nowhere, but there's been a blueprint laid down. There's a foundation laid down. There's a lot of discussion being done, and that's just how it has to be done, man. And I got big goals. Um, you mentioned traveling. I I want to travel once a month for the show. Bring you with me. Go places. All right? It doesn't need to be crazy, but I want to do more interviews in person because like, the in-person shit is always better can't nothing can replace it just it, that experience it's I, i'm yeah. a big vibe and energy guy yeah. right and you know this is pre-recorded we've pre-recorded the interview with danny kelly like that shit was dope mm-hmm. but imagine if we had him in person right. you know like if it was awesome over the phone in person it's just way better you know so i want to do stuff like that um i want to go and visit certain places for the show like i mentioned um I want to grow the Patreon. I want to maybe build a website. You know, I want to get media credentials. Uh, shout out to all the fans. You guys are continuing to support. Um, just the networking stuff, you know. So I'm excited. I'm pumped. I want to get a studio. I was telling you. I have an idea. That's for the next step. C- come September. Like yeah. right now, it's cool. But this setup right now is in my home office in, in uh, my basement. But it's just a hassle having to put up this step and repeat and moving the tables around and all that. It's like I want to just have yeah. a place where I could just set this shit up and never have to move anything, you know. So, like, that's my goal for next football season. So, everything we're doing now, I got to build towards that, you know. So, 
trust the process trust the process be patient with it anyone that's doing some shit that's unconventional Mm -hmm. uh someone called me unconventional the other day and i I, I kind of fucked with it that's a a compliment yeah yeah (laughs) i was like yeah because that's exactly it you know so if you're conventional that probably means you're generic and it's like yeah yeah. you know don't be i mean look if you want to be that that's cool there's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. but it's just not for me so yeah man i'm pumped shout out to everyone um my goals are well documented in Sora Allens and let's ready to rock and roll, man, for uh, 2020 and beyond, you know. Um, all right. Let's get into some football, shall we? Playoffs. First up, um, these two teams played in the regular season, right? Houston and Buffalo. I think they played week six. That game totally went over my head if they did. Let me let me just check that because I want to say that it is a rematch. Um and the reason why is because our guy Taryn, shout out to Taryn. No, they didn't play. You sure? I'm looking at the schedule right now. The, Bro, the, only, the only the only AFC East team they played was the Patriots. You sure they didn't play in week six? Because Taryn has it that they played in week six. No, they beat the Chiefs in week six. Oh. Taryn, you fuck. They you beat, ruined it. They blew out the Falcons a week five when Will Fuller for one week looked like Jerry Rice, and then they beat the Chiefs in that very impressive win. Mm-hmm. All right, so scratch that, I guess. Thanks a lot, Taryn, you piece of trash. Um, all right, so it's a two-and-a-half-point line. Houston Texans are favored. Um, something very interesting to note, it is the first start for one Josh Allen in the playoffs. It's going to be a common theme throughout every game that we're going to break down, Allen, that I think is important because last year. Well, except Viking Saints. Viking Saints, correct. You're right. Um, last year, three players made their first ever start in the playoffs. Do you remember them? You have Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. You have. Wow, why am I blanking on this one right now? Oh, not that. No, no. Dak Prescott was 2016. Right. The playoffs. Oh, man. Why am I blanking on this right now? Come on. He's the MVP this year. Oh, of course, Lamar Jackson couldn't complete a pass. And, and, and uh, the almighty, everyone's favorite. The Apparently, Ryan Pace confirmed it. Starting quarterback in 2020, Mitchell Trubisky. Congratulations. So all those quarterbacks that Allen mentioned, first-time starters last year, all three of them having the benefit of playing in front of their home. Port- I don't want to say poor Trubisky, but the Bears really should have won that. Yeah. I mean, he had one good drive at the end. Yeah. Uh, all three of those guys that we mentioned lost. Since 2000, since 2000, quarterbacks making their first ever start in the playoffs. 14 and 30 straight up. 12, 31 and 1 against the spread since 2003. This year, we have Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, who was not the starter in that Pittsburgh game. Remember, he got hurt. It was Matt Moore. And it was uh, the chosen one, Impey's Lord and Savior, Matt Moore, coming in. Chosen one. And then we have. The one and only Carson Wentz also. So, Josh Allen, do you think he's a guy? Does he strike you as a guy where this stage might be too big for him? Or do you think he's just a guy that's like kind of too dumb for his own good to not like realize that it's that big of a game? And I mean that in like a nice way. Yeah, I was just about to say, I do think the cage is too big for him. But then again, Josh Allen is just this player that's so high variance and he's so fearless. Especially when that's he's what I'm saying. Like his yeah. style is so reckless, yeah. but in a good way where it's like. I don't know if it's always in a good way. Right. But yeah. I'm saying like I, I kind of I kind of like 
I like a guy like Josh Allen. I want my quarterback to have some balls and put it in a tight yeah. window because then I have Alex Smith, who's going to third and eight, or Eli Manning, last four years of his career, third and eight, two-yard check down to a running back. He's just so racked, Josh Allen. That's the problem, whether it's overthrowing his receivers or just putting the ball in harm's way. Like, I think what benefits the Bills is just they have a defense that can be rely upon. You know the Bills' defense is not going to get overwhelmed. They're going to keep the game competitive regardless of who they're going up against. So that's what benefits Josh Allen. He has that leeway. It's like, okay, well, I could turn the ball over twice. But his defense probably hold point to, what, 20 points, 24 points at most. Like If you're going to beat the Bills – uh, you're gonna have to scheme some things up, like you got what the Patriots did a couple weeks ago, you know, getting Rex Burkhead into open space and some things they do when they kill Harry. Now, granted, the Texans do have a ton of skill position talent in terms of what they have on the outside receivers, but this Bills defense, I they're so deep, and I think that's why it's, I think it's a really good litmus test to see where Bill O'Brien's at because I feel like this time every year it's like, gosh, oh, Bill O'Brien is it gonna be another dud. He's they're just known for those duds, and now he's going up against a real. Top defensive line coach is Sean McDermott, who has a lot of play experience. He's a big part of the Carolina Panthers' success. So I think that's one more interesting storyline is just both these coaches coming from you know two separate sides of the ball. Is it possible that this is a realization to the Texans? Because I think so. I like Buffalo in this game. Ooh. And I think that Will Fuller is a game-time decision, but there was a report from Evan Silva. Someone from the Texans said that it's very unlikely that he plays. And I think I think Will Fuller is huge for what he does for Watson. Like, the splits with him in the lineup and not a lineup are significant. And then, you know, Tredavious White on DeAndre Hopkins. You know this dude hasn't allowed a single receiving touchdown this year? The only Stunned. guy in the NFL? And he's gone up against some good guys, too, you know? And obviously, I think that's the most important matchup is whoever gets the better of that matchup is going to be big because... Who's going to get it done for the Texans if it's not D-Hop? Kenny Stills could do his thing. I always like Kenny Stills. I know he's more of a, I don't want to say gadget player, but he's more of someone, he only gets four to six targets. He's not someone that can be totally relied upon. Kiki Kuti is kind of falling out of favor. Maybe it's a big game for Duke. Who knows? Well, because you mentioned Rex Burkhead, and my mind went right away to Duke Johnson. Yeah. A very similar kind of out the backfield kind of guy. But, you know, I, I do think that this might be a – this is our ceiling game. And what I mean by that is if Houston loses, it's like, do we maybe move off Bill, Bill O'Brien? Look, it's going to be hard because they've won the division, I think it was four of the last five years. It's just we've been saying this almost every year now, and they don't do it. And I do think Deshaun Watson really likes Bill O'Brien. They have a really good rapport. Because I think Watson's the one that backed them up because they were going to fire him in 2017. But Watson's like, no, you have to keep him. So that's what they made work. We also have to point out J.J. Watt. Word. That's exciting. The, uh, I don't know how effective he's going to be, but it's going to yeah. be exciting. The, the the second best Watt brother. I guess we have to say that now. There you go. Finally. <laughs> TJ Watt, we're going to do awards uh, next episodes. He might be mentioned. Baller, baller. Yeah. So, yeah, he comes back rated at 89.6 when he was healthy. Um, surprisingly, not one of the highest grades of his career, which you know says a lot because 89.6, according to PFF, is pretty high. But... Um, when you're looking at the grades for the quarterbacks, Watson comes in at nine, Allen comes in at twenty-five. Um, what are you looking at in this game, man? What are you? Who, who are you leaning with? You, I'm going to lead towards Houston. I uh, just trust Watson more to make enough plays. And even though Houston's defense is kind of fragile, I just can't trust Josh Allen at this point. Like Josh Allen, he'll make a couple of big throws. We saw that in the New England game, hit John Brown, and then I think it was Dawson Knox or some other tight end. Like Josh Allen will make two or three wow throws. 
but that's not enough to rely upon when it comes to a quarterback. I thought Allen missed a fair amount of throws against New England, and I just can't trust them when it comes to like the third and six or say some sort of like situation when they're in the red zone. It's just unless they scheme some stuff up where okay he'll take a couple quarterback draws to get big plays, maybe that'll work out, but. It's just that's where it comes down to because I do think that defense is gonna give Watson some problems. They're gonna be, they're probably gonna blitz the hell out of Watson, but I'm gonna trust Houston's star talent. I think they do have enough, especially firepower. Because I, because uh, they're gonna move Hopkins around. I want to see if Tre'Davious White will follow into the slot because Hopkins will run at a slot as well. So, yeah, I'm leaning towards Houston. Not overly confident because I'm not a Bill O'Brien guy, but I'm gonna lean Houston. No, I do think that the the Bills wide receivers got some favorable matchups going up against that secondary. Yeah, if Jonathan Joseph's isolated and John Brown, it's going to be very problematic. If Jonathan Joseph's like 38 and cannot move anymore. Yeah, and John Brown could definitely get behind you. Like, that's a guy who's, I think he's Great had... Great story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50 yards in every game, but I think one? Or he's had... It's either been like... he Remember... Devontae Adams last year, he either had like 80 yards and a touchdown. or a touchdown yeah. in every single game. I think I think John Brown, his number is like 50. Yeah. So, Some people thought his career was going to be over. He had the sickle cell issue. Right. And then he went to Baltimore. Had When, ironically, Flacco was playing, he, he had like a real good season. But then once Lamar came in, things kind of fizzled out. But just see him in Buffalo, him and Cole Beasley, it's a funky little duo over there. Oh, man. I, I'm actually like, this is the game I'm the least – confident in picking a side of the the four games this weekend i feel like it's more excited it's more exciting than your standard texans 435 playoff game which has become the new standard yeah yeah you know, i am pretty much looking forward to this game I, I do think both these teams are exciting i guess the only thing i dread is just having to listen to booger but you know what, are we gonna do? what about uh what about, yeah this could be a big game for watson too like as far as like his career like he well, looked, it's his second playoff game no i understand but it was so bad last year and i know there were a couple yeah. of drops i, I remember he's got totally out coached yeah yeah, Frank Wright, Andrew Luck. Ugh. What could have been? What could have been? Uh, I'm going to go with Buffalo, though. Go with okay. Buffalo to, to circle the wagon and uh, move on to the next round. This game, I'm getting a lot of heat for it. Um, game of the weekend. Game of the weekend. I uh, took the Twitter, like everyone does, to give out a take. And my whole thing was this, Alan. And tell me how you feel about this. I think the Pats are losing this weekend. Same here. And the only argument people are making with me is, yo, it's New England. Don't fall for the trap, bro. They're not showing their cards, bro. They're... It's all the bros. Yeah, they're... You know, they... You're going to bet against New England in the in the playoffs? It's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because what's their best win? Such generalities. Uh, either Buffalo or Philly. And the Philly win wasn't overly impressive. The Dallas game, sure, you play that at home, big deal, right? Every every good team you played, you got pummeled. That mo- I think Mother Nature won that game. <laughs> right, every good team you played, you've lost to. Um, I think their team's been overrated all year. I was saying it on the show months ago when they were like eight and zero and they were going on this run and best defense ever. It's like Case Keenum, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who just beat him by the way, uh, Sam Darnold, um. Uh, we can put Daniel ba- Jones. Can we, can we put Baker Mayfield in there? Ba- is that yeah, controversial? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, Baker Mayfield. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, who ended up getting hurt. Like, they just played a bunch of shitty teams, and that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pummel them. You're supposed to blow them out. Yeah. Right? And then the it's the Patriots 
My bad. It's not enough for me to pick them. It's not. Because- they still got the coaching staff, but just the personnel right now. That, that offense couldn't look more pedestrian. That offense is a tough watch. And this Titans defense, it's one of the more underappreciated units across in the league. What what does New England do well offensively? They could scheme up plays, maybe get Elman going a slot, or maybe this could be a James White game. You know, I feel like James White's been kind of an afterthought this year. And maybe Rex Burkhead going, because Sanu doesn't look healthy. You can't rely on Philip Dorsett. Nikhil Harry's the one rookie receiver that doesn't do anything special. So I just, that offense, and the offense line isn't as stabilized as it once was. So it's just, that's really concerning. Grant, look, I think their defense will give Tannehill some problems, but it's just, right now you look at the star power, and it's crazy to use that word star power with Tennessee, because it's funny, like we talked about this all year, like the Titans were never really mentioned on our episodes. Like they were the one team we wouldn't really talk about, because like, all right, it's the Titans, are kind of the dullest team in the league. Now you have the running back king, you have the most prolific rookie wide receiver, and you have this resurgent quarterback that was kind of just cast. He was kind of a castaway. So it's a real fun story. And here's another thing you have to consider: who's the coach on Tennessee? Mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel. And last year, Belichick against not just him but Matt Patricia in Detroit. Both those games, the Patriots lost definitively. So I don't know what's this thing with you know, former assistants or former players of Belichick that kind of get after him. But last year, like they got blown out by Tennessee, and Detroit handled them too. Yo, um. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, youtube.com slash veterans minimum, my hands are on my head because that was the Corey Davis game. What? Remember, like, Gilmore was, like, the number one corner in football? He's still and, like, good solid. No, I know, but, yeah. like, yeah. Corey Davis cooked him. Uh-huh. Like, it was, yo, remember when Stevie Johnson was on the Bills? Oh, he torched Revis. And it's like, yo, every year, Revis will, like, shut down Reggie Wayne, Randy Moss, uh, you know, stud wide receiver, yeah. Calvin, jo- um, yeah, Calvin Johnson, yeah. Chad Johnson. And then it's like Stevie Johnson, eight for 154. And one. you're like, what the fuck is going on? So when Corey Davis like lit up yeah. Stephon, yo, he had Corey Davis. That was the best game of his career. He had like 10 catches. I want to say over 100 yards. Mm-hmm. Mariota was the quarterback. Yeah. And you're right. There's something about that. And I also think New England, you could run on New England. Like even the Browns. Remember that Browns game? Nick Chubb was breaking like 25 yards he and he did. fumbled he like fumbles, three times. Yeah. <laughs> but like there was one run. He, he ran for like 60 yards and he got hit from behind. They've been doing better. Saffold's sign was really big for them. But they, the the Titans, obviously, they want to run the ball. They have the number one running back in football. I mean, he was the number one rusher. Yeah, per yards. Um, most yards in the league, Derrick Henry. And that's their identity. And I think Tannehill's going to not kill him. Like, I think Tannehill's going to do enough. He's played New England in the past. I think that's yeah. something. Yeah. Now, again, this is a first-time start for Ryan Tannehill. That's big. But, like, yo, I'm sorry. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll, I'll take it on the chin. I don't mind. But if it's not this week, it's next week. And a part of me wants it to be next week for New England when they got to go into Kansas City because it's important to remember that if New England and New Orleans win, they know who they're playing next week where everything else like – And you're getting classic matchups. Right. Even though it's New England team, obviously not right, much but, elite team, but still on paper it's but look at But looking ahead a little bit like – New England would have to go into Kansas City, and I feel like it'd be such poetic justice for them to like put a dagger in the Patriots once and for all, Andy Reid. But let's not get too ahead of this, ourselves. Yeah, this Titans team is muscle. I love watching this Titans. We didn't I, even mention John U. Smith, who, other than George Kill, might be the best tight end after a catch. I know Belichick today t- said uh, John Smith's the best tight end after a catch. I'm like, oh, let's watch George Kittle. But besides that, I think John Smith's another guy. That, who would have thought he probably wouldn't have played a lot of snaps if it wasn't for Delaney Walker, who's on now on IR. I just don't see what New England could do. Like, Edelman's not even that healthy. And 
shit, you look at Edelman, his last like seven playoff games, and I know it might hurt you a little bit, but he's been balling. Like he's <laughs> definitely has been balling. I, I think I think his worst game, he has like eight catches or something. It's like something ridiculous. Like this guy is just he always shows up in the playoffs. I have a super controversial take where I think like his pl- playoff resume alone should put him in the discussion for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're you and Nate Burleson. <laughs> so shout out to the wide receivers. That's why. But dude, I think, you know, in years past, it's like, you know, we have Gronk and we've been saving Gronk. And you would see that where it's like, you know, we're going to unleash Gronk four or five times, four or five moments of regular season. Right. We'll unleash Gronk like against a Kansas City, against a against a Baltimore, against a um, uh, a Houston team, like an up and coming team. Right. And then it's like he's very pedestrian. And then like they would unleash him in the playoffs. I mean, shit, that game against Kansas City was Edelman and Gronk whenever they needed to play, which was crazy drive, to me. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy to me. It's like, dude, dude, they've been doing this for a decade. Like, Brady goes to these two guys. Like, Edelman converted three third and longs in that in that overtime game. Yeah. And it's like, yo, how do you not double cover the one guy that can make a play for them? Yeah. And I think he's hobbled. And you can't and you can't run on Tennessee, too. Tennessee's pretty good against the run. And they use Edelman a slot. Who's the tight slot corner? Logan Ryan. Knows him. They know him. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Man, I, I just think it's a shame Malcolm Butler's out for a year because you know Malcolm Butler loved to get back at Belichick after right. the whole Super Bowl. Right, right. We have only one for a pat. Maybe Deion Lewis can make an impact. I know his snaps are kind of limited, but he's still a threat. I love watching Deion Lewis. It's unfortunate that he's now with Derrick Henry, but, but man, I'm, I'm excited about Tennessee. I think they've quietly been one of the best stories of the season. Like that offense is really fun to watch, and especially what they do on play action. In particular, Tannehill might have the best QB rating in the league off play action. That's how good he's been. So, how do you feel about um, AJ Brown this week? Oh, one thing I was gonna set up because Gilmore got lit up by Devontae Parker, which was pretty extraordinary. Just watching Devontae Parker look like Julio Jones. But look, AJ Brown's a threat, whether it's off play action or if they use him. You saw a screen against Houston; like they're gonna use him a variety of different ways. So even though you might have, you might be. Uh, shadowed by Gilmore, they're still going to try to get him the ball as much as possible. And then, you know, you have Corey Davis, John Smith. They have a lot of weapons. Maybe Adam Humphreys will pop up. I just, I'm really high on this Titans team. It would be unfortunate if they crash because, boy, we're going to look like idiots if they just completely fall apart. I think the one issue could be pass protection. They have looked a little bit iffy this year. Although I do think Mariota was a big reason for that because Mariota hold on to the ball way too long. I think Tannehill, who's an impressive athlete, by the way. Ten, no, Tannehill isn't going to have credit. Like, he's one of those white right, quarterbacks. He can move. He was, a, he, was a white, uh, he was a wide receiver in college. I know, but people just kind of sleep on Like, they just sleep on Tannehill in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm really excited. I think the only way New England really wins is, of course, they have to out-scheme him. But also, if just Tannehill... Uh, falters and I just you know it's gonna sound cliche but if New England wins the turnover battle and you know if they start generating pressure because I do think they're gonna try to blitz 10-0 uh, more than they blitz other teams but I gotta go with Tennessee you know New England has never gone to the Super Bowl playing this weekend yeah because I remember what was in 09 that was the Ray Rice game the Ray Rice game um there was another time early New England like, this is like oh five oh six. Yeah, yeah, like like Jake Plummer, New England. Oh uh, man, I'm sorry, Jake Plummer, Denver. Jake Plummer, oh, yeah, because yeah, that who had the pick and then he got hit at the one yard line as a touchdown. Ben Watson. Oh, sorry, who's playing this weekend? Ben Watson tracked down Champ Bailey. That's right. Oh, and dude, man. that is one of the greatest football plays you'll ever see. This guy, I'm gonna try to find the clip, but Bailey gets the pick in the red zone, in it's the end mile zone, high, in mile high. Yeah. Is returning it and Ben Watson is on like the other pylon 
and just perfect pursuit. Like if you want to do pursuit 101, like backside tackling, this dude chases him down, takes him down at like the one yard line. But yeah, New England has never made it to the Super Bowl. I believe they've made it to the conference final one time playing this weekend. So that's another thing you got to factor in with New England. Like, yo, in the past you say, hey, they got it. They're the Patriots. They don't have that extra week to prepare. And there's a team that could really use that extra week with Brady being older, Edelman being banged up. Yeah. And they play a red-hot team that didn't have to break much of a sweat against Houston because Houston played it. And if you think about it, they they – kind of had a bye week with the saints like remember that saints game they rested derrick henry i mean i know he's the only one that i rested. don't think that was a bye week because they lost that and it could have been affect their playoff hopes well here's the thing it, it turned out where that game against houston would have been for all the marbles because what ended up happening was the tiebreaker in the afc they had the tiebreaker over everyone else in the afc mm-hmm. and since the saints was uh out of conference Oh, okay. Here we That's go. why they sat Derrick Henry. Gotcha. Okay. Man, I'm going with the Titans. I'm going with the Titans too. I'm really excited about them. I, mean, I just, I, I sometimes you just have to look at personnel. It's not all about coaching. Look, Belichick's the god and everything, but I think Mike Vrabel's done a hell of a job. He's another one of those defensive coaches where it's like, okay, it's not all about these new offensive gurus. You can hire a defensive mind coach and still be successful. And I think Vrabel and Sean McDermott have both proven that. 24-10, Tennessee. Wow. <laughs> I would say like 24-17. 24 to 10. Oh, jeez. Oh, Brady. Brady retirement headlines. Oh, I don't know if I want to look at them. All right. Let's move on to uh, Saints-Vikings. What are you looking at over there? What do you got? Look at the Houston-Texas schedule from last year. Uh-huh. Apparently, our buddy Taron made a little bit of a mistake. Taron, you're fired. <laughs> no, it was a mistake. Uh, it turns out the Bills at Texas played back in 2018. Uh, Houston beat them 20 to 13. I forgot the Texans started out 0 and 3 last year. Was that Week Six? That was Week Six. Taron, you piece of trash. Good call. Just say you're off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Oh, dude, the Texans were 0 and 3, and Giants they banged beat out. them. Yeah, that's we know out. things are rough. Oh boy. Oh boy. And then they went. Uh, they won nine straight. Man. Yeah. 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 Interesting. All right. Let's get into Saints and the Vikings. Um. As uh, Alan, I just noticed. Question: What's with the Viking thing? Is it just like any uh, anyone but the Saints? Oh well, the Vikings are my second team. Okay. Yeah, my my brother is was a huge fan growing up. Although he's kind of scarred now. Ever since far through that pick, he kind of gave up on football. He'll occasionally watch, like he did watch him. Wow, episodes. rematch! Also, I yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, a lot of history. In this Holy <laughs> shit! A lot of crazy got, endings to games. You got the far pick. You got Diggs. It's. Oh, one of the best play-by-play guys in the, I think, just sports period is Paul Allen from Minnesota. He's the guy who coined the Minneapolis miracle phrase. If you want to look up another thing on YouTube, just look up Paul Allen's reaction to Brett Favre's interception. He goes, this isn't Detroit. This is the NFC Championship. The Vikings are trying to go to the Super Bowl. He's just freaking out as far through the interception. And, of course, it's just Brett Favre throwing across his body. So, yeah, this game has a lot of history to it. And I think it's a... It's all. It's always been a fun matchup, but the fact that it's in New Orleans now it just brings back memories. And when you think about it, it's actually yeah, ten years because it was the '09 season, but 2010 playoffs this year, 19. Right. 20. Now right. this is in the conference championships, and 
Minnesota isn't quite the same, but yeah, this is a fun matchup. But no, I do genuinely like the Vikings. I grew up loving Cole Pepper and Moss. My first ever football jersey was Randy Moss. Then it was Jamal Anderson, former running back. Let's Falcons. go. Dirty, dirty bird. But Randy Moss is like my all-time favorite player. So yeah, I do have a soft spot for Minnesota, although I think this is the most lopsided game out of the four. Question. Do you remember Brett Favre's last throw as a Packer? Was that the Corey Webster? Let's go, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Brett Favre. How you like? I know the player, too. In, in typical Brett Favre fashion, his last pass attempt as a Packer intercepted. Man. Shout out to Corey Webster. All right. Uh, you think the most lopsided game of the weekend? Yeah. So you're, so you're thinking. Uh, you know I've been high on the Saints all year. Right, right. Yeah. You, so this, this, this might be the most important question I ask you. Uh, the Saints are an eight-point favorite. You saying that you're confident? You think they they blow them out? Like what, what? What kind of vibes are you getting from this game? The issue with the Vikings, everyone's gonna point out. Okay, Kirk Cousins on the road, high-profile matchup. He's gonna crack. I think the biggest issue with the Vikings, the secondary is just not good anymore. Like Xavier Rose, we've been talking about his decline. Trey Wayne's always been an issue. Even I don't even think Harrison's just playing at the same level. And it's just right now. We've been kind of talking. Oh, last year was the case, but not so much this year. Drew, Ple- Drew Brees is playing really well. I thought he looked incredible against Tennessee. All right, this thing against Carolina, but Drew Brees, uh, the decline hasn't been there this year. Uh, I, I want to take this time to apologize. On um, I probably got apologized too. Uh, an, <laughs> an all-time bad take saying the Saints are going to make the playoffs. Oh, I didn't say that. And and, and also, <laughs> also by saying that, I felt like Drew Brees was a shot fighter because. Dude, not for nothing. This time last year, he did look a little shaky. No, like, he did. After that, absolutely. Fuck, who did they play on Thursday Night Football? Well, I know they played the Falcons on Thanksgiving. That was kind of... No, nah, there was another one. And then they played someone else. Dallas. Like, Dallas, yes. Yeah, he Dallas, did look bad. They were like an eight-point favorite in Dallas. I remember I gave out the Cowboys. Shout out to me. But he looked so bad. And then after that, like his numbers kind of declined. There was a Monday night game against Carolina. They barely beat a bad Carolina team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... And then he just looked shaky, you know, like his, his arm strength wasn't there. He, you know, he's 40 years old also. So I thought that was going to be a big part of it. But then, you know, something very important. He missed about six weeks of the season, came back, and dude, he's been on fire the last yeah, couple weeks. He's been really impressive. That Monday night game against the Colts, he was just, wherever the ball went, he just landed in the hands, whether it was Michael Thomas or Jericho. I think having a Playmaking tight end again has really helped them. Like Drew Brees, kind of like Tom Brady. Like I wonder if the Patriots wish they could have got Jared Cook. Because okay, Jared Cook, shaky hands, could be a little frustrated, but that guy's a freak athlete and he's gonna make plays, especially after a catch. I think signing Jared Cook, you put him with Michael Thomas, you know, Ted Ginstall, right? Traycon Smith's getting the ball a lot more now too. It's just that offense is looking threatening. And Kamara's Kamara, healthy. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I think for me, it's it's he's definitely finally healthy these last two weeks he's scored multiple touchdowns and you know in in the fantasy community you always have like touchdown regression like you know i think a guy next year to just be cautious about a little bit is like um aaron jones Mm -hmm. right like this dude scored what 18 touchdowns i think he led the nfl in touchdowns it's like him and mccaffrey henry had like 16 right it's like you can't you can't bank on these guys to score 20 touchdowns a year kind of tyler lockett last year right tyler lockett last year had 10 touchdowns and i think like 14 or something yeah yeah, you you might be right like you know um darius slayton this year he scored eight touchdowns it's like yeah you're not gonna get like that's just even julio dude like julio year in your eye he's like Mm -hmm. a top wide receiver in the game but you know his touchdowns are always up in the air so it's just something that you can't bank on eric ebron last year oh my god (laughs) yeah so here's something very interesting eric kendricks according to pff a lot of analysts have picked him for defensive player of the year he's questionable 
highest grade of any Minnesota Vikings defensive player. And you mentioned the defense. Secondary shaking up. Are you familiar with their schedule? I'm looking at it right now, and wow, there are quite a lot of below average slash quarterbacks that shouldn't be in the league on this list. Chase Daniel, Sir Daniel Jones, Case Keenum, Matt Moore, Kyle Allen, David Blow, Mitchell Trubisky. And they don't have a single corner that grades over 50. And the big concern is, okay, everyone's going to bring up their pass rush. Daniel Hunter is stud. Everson Griffin's still get the job done. New Orleans offensive line is still one of the top units. In the league. They do not allow a lot of pressure. Ram check on Armstead as good as it gets when it comes to tackles. Uh, that's where, like, okay, maybe the Vikings will blitz a lot more, but the Saints are one of the best screen teams in the game. Like They know how to put together screens, whether it's through Kamara or if they go to outside with Thomas or Smith. I just, if the Vikings can't generate pressure, I just think Drew Brees is going to torch them. And then offensively, the, that offense line is very shaky. And even though New Orleans, okay, they lost Rankins and Davenport, but still Cam Jordan's is lethal as a guess. That guy, you can put him across the line of scrimmage, he's going to cause problems. I just think there's so many matchups that favor New Orleans. The only way I can see Minnesota doing well is just if Dalvin Cook goes off and they dominate the time possession. I think this is the type of game that it's like, okay, if you can control the ball, if you got to quote-unquote establish the run, which you know Mike Zimmer being as old school as he is, he'll do it. They just have to force some turnovers and run the ball effectively. Otherwise, I just don't see how they could contain that New Orleans offense. Yeah. I Adam Thielen don't look himself. I think he's... I'm excited to watch Diggs, though. though. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, man, I could definitely see them like completely trying to put the clamps on him and like, yeah. yo, you're not going to get shit. I wonder how much George Jenkins is going to play. Dude, what about two giant? The, the starting secondary for the New York Giants this year, week one, yeah. is playing in this game. Yeah, you have him with Lattimore. It's just, the thing is, I'm not sure how much they're going to see field because Minnesota, is, I'm not sure what the exact stat is, but they do not play a lot of three wide receiver sets. Mm-hmm. They're notorious for running two tight sets with Rudolph and Irv Smith. They're just very old school, and they just don't have the depth to have those three receivers. So maybe you, it won't matter as much, but... It's just I think New York, New Orleans just firing all cylinders right now. They are such an explosive team. And even though defensively they're a little shaky, it's just Drew Brees, just the way he's playing right now with Michael Thomas. Like there isn't a better rapport right now in the league. Like those two are just completely in sync. And Minnesota like it would be shocking. Michael Thomas doesn't have like 125 yards out of this game. Do you think in the NFC more so than the AFC, home field really matters in this playoffs? Because Man, I feel like New Orleans might not get to the Super Bowl because they won't have home field. Like, looking ahead, if they win this game on Sunday, which it's fair to say we both think so, they're going to go into Green Bay. And if it's, like, four degrees in Green Bay, and, you know, the the home road splits are well-documented between Drew Brees, like, indoors and outdoors. I think also their defense. For some reason, their defense does not play as good on the road. But also... I need to push back on everyone that has that take because it's not true since they got Michael Thomas. Oh, okay. Since Michael Thomas got there, Drew Brees is a completely different quarterback on the road. Like, he's not what he is in the dome, but he's not as bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's having a guy like Michael Thomas who does a lot of the dirty work underneath. And that could be Kamara, too. I want to show him some love. But I think it's very important to remember that. Um, I know I know. in two instances we're looking ahead, but, man, I, I, think, the, I think the Saints win. Yeah, thirty-five, fourteen, thirty-five. I, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm expecting a. We'll see some too. good old Kirk Cousins garbage time points. No quarterback does garbage time better than Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Well, maybe Blake Bortles back in the day. But well, that's the reason why I'm a little worried about this eight point spread because it could be like, you know, it could be twenty-eight, fourteen, oh. and there's like two minutes left, and 
Cousins does his usual be. shit, you know? I'm excited to see Dalvin Cook. He's been out for the last almost three weeks now, mm-hmm. and he's still someone that could take over a game. I think that's the one thing. If Minnesota could just somehow get him the ball each 20 times and just somehow control the time possession, if Cousins just doesn't shoot himself in the foot, yeah. it could be competitive. If you're, if you're Minnesota, you want to completely duplicate that Sunday night football game against the Cowboys, right? Cook had like, what, 28 touches, I believe it was. It was, it was one of his best games. And also cousins had the two touchdowns to Kyle Rudolph. And it was like, I think he threw the ball maybe 20 times. And it's like, that's exactly what we want Mm -hmm. from the Vikings. Like I want cook to get the ball 25 plus times. And Gary Kubiak and Zimmer want that too. Yeah. And just have Kirk cousins, not F this up for us. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I think. But I don't think that's gonna happen because I think, yeah, um, I think it's gonna get ugly in the Superdome. Yeah. Going Saints. All right. Last but not least, um, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, and we're gonna talk a little bit about this game in particular with our guy Danny Kelly, who uh, Seahawks fan, and he lives out in the Pacific Northwest. But man, I, I, I said this prior to knowing who was gonna win that game. I think the Eagles win. This is going to be a slop fest. I hope you're ready for a big, ugly slop fest. Entertaining. I, yeah. So they played each other in the regular season. Um, both defenses are bad. Both quarterbacks are doing a lot with a little. And I know Tyler Lockett. Got to give him some love. But DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf also. The first time these two teams played, and I just found this now. We didn't mention it before with Danny Kelly. Dude, you know how many turnovers the Eagles had? I remember they had a lot of fumbles. Five. Wow. Three fumbles. Well, and two Wentz wins. had an ugly stretch. I remember that Patriots game. He was awful. I think this game. Yo, was that was the famous play where Miles Sanders is wide open in the flats, like oh, three yards from him. Oh, my Yo. <laughs> he just airmailed it. Yo, that ball landed like past the, you know, the, the sideline out of bounds, yeah. like that white chalk. It landed like past that. And Miles Sanders was so wide open. It was one of those plays where like Miles Sanders kind of looked at him. He's like, dude, what the fuck was that? Yeah. He's hurt. I'm not sure if he's playing. Yeah, Jordan Howard is supposed to come back, which I think I think might be interesting because like this is the kind of game where you might want to pound Jordan yeah. Howard. You could run Seattle. Right, right. Yeah. And you know, the secondary for Phillies, it was they were playing well, and then like Jalen Mills got hurt, Darby IR, uh, LeBlanc is like the slot corner now. Tyler Lockett should have a field day. I think they've been very fortunate these last two weeks. You know, talking about Philly secondary, Prescott missed a lot of throws in that game. Like he could have hit Gallup at least twice. I think he underthrew him, then he overthrew him, and then he also missed Tavon Austin on a big one. And then last week, I thought Daniel Jones underthrew Stone Shepard a couple of times. Yep, yep. Like I'm glad I, you brought that up. I, I thought the Eagles secondary, like whether it's LeBlanc or uh, Sidney Jones, they were very fortunate they didn't get torched. And now you're going up against Russell Wilson. Right. Like, I don't think you can get bailed out this time around. Right, right. And also, you know, this game is at 440 as opposed to being a 1 o'clock. So you don't have that body clock thing for the right. Seahawks. Yeah. I will say Philadelphia is a very intimidating place. I was there, uh, Eagles-Falcons 2018, and just those fans do not sit down. I was in the press box just looking around like, this is a really intimidating place. And Eagles, they still have their front four, and Jim Schwartz will blitz as much as possible. And no Dwayne Brown for the Seahawks. No, you have George Fant, former like basketball player, play left tackle. <laughs> so I think I think this is the biggest of all the quarterbacks this weekend. I think Carson Wentz has the most pressure on him. Yeah, actually, he hasn't he hasn't won a playoff game for them. And he's been... I think there's a little pressure on Kirk Cousins. I know they're kind of a lopsided matchup, but I feel like Cousins has to at least do something. 
sure and maybe Breeze too like dude they can't this might be the last hurrah so no but I do think Carson Wentz just because you know he hasn't been there I but it. like yeah. the jury is still out on Carson Wentz which I think is fucking ridiculous ah, that's harsh if yo if you don't see it with Carson Wentz I don't know what to tell you I don't think the like, jury, I don't think the jury's thought they just want to see him do on the biggest stage yo this guy the the most like underrated storyline of this year is how well he's played I know he had the bad stretch like we mentioned Every, the Seahawks most quarterbacks game do, yeah. and, and the Patriots but, dude, this guy's been balling the last four or five games since the Miami loss. And even yeah. that game, they didn't lose because of him. No. Right? <laughs> and this dude's been balling. And look what he's doing it with. Practice squad guys, backups. Greg he's, Ward was undrafted, right? He's the first. Not even undrafted, bro. Oh. He was a college quarterback. Oh, wow. He was a quarterback for Houston. Yeah. This was a team I used to hammer the overs in. Yo, first time in NFL history that a quarterback throws for 4,000 yards. I know. Not one wide receiver over 500 yards. That's a impressive. Not one. Uh, like, dude, he's doing it with tight ends, backup dude, tight ends. Quick little thing. Uh, Josh Perkins was the third tight end on the Falcons Super Bowl team back in 2016. I think he had like three catches the whole year. So seeing Josh Perkins out there is very interesting just because he, he was a pretty good athlete coming out of Washington. But... It's just he's faded out of the league so much, but now he's back. And, you know, with that offense, with Ertz, who might not play it, and then Goddard, who made some incredible catches against the Giants. Oh, my God. Like, he's – you could tell him and Wentz have a really strong rapport. So, you know, that's at least one big positive. But Philly's also banged up the offense line. Brandon Brooks got stretched off. Lane yeah. Johnson's been injured. These teams are just beat up, but Philly in particular is just – there's so many. They're just limping into the postseason, but – just the way Wentz is playing and just that home field, I do think that home field is going to play a big factor. I think those are some of the big driving forces. And, of course, their pass rush. They really got after Giants, which I know are not saying a lot, but still, like, Seattle's offensive line is as shaky as it gets. And, you know, Wilson, he could take some chances and it doesn't always come to fruition. So maybe you could see Philly capitalize on it. I do think you're right on this being a, a, a tough place to play. Like, the vibe... I always hate when the Giants got to go into Philly. Like, it's just like, yo, this shit's going to get ugly one way or another. It might either be an ugly performance by the Giants or it's an ugly game. And it's just a tough place to play, man. And you know they're eating up that shit like, yo, they're an underdog. They're a two-point. Yeah. The fan base is still fully committed. It's not like yeah. a fan base where it's like, oh, we know we're not really going to make a like, – there's just not enough talent. For them, it's just like, oh, we're taking on the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think – I'm going with Philly, man. I think Wentz – Wentz is playing at a super high level right now, and he's going to pull shit out his ass like he's been doing. I wish Ertz was playing, but, you know, looking ahead a little bit, they, there's a possibility they might be able to get Aguilar and Deshaun Jackson back next week. I see week. Deshaun Jackson doing drills. Very exciting. So that, that'll be huge for them because they have no one they could take to top off the defense. So I'm going with the Eagles, and I'm I'm very excited for this game. Despite it getting ugly, I think this one has the most, like, it's gonna get ridiculous. First of all, every Seahawks game pretty much gets ridiculous. What you think about, like, and then because I, I think I think from a storyline perspective, because look, I think ultimately it's gonna be Green Bay, New Orleans next week, right? So you might have Philly going to play San Francisco, or you might have Seattle, San Francisco round three, and the first two games were phenomenal. Which, which for me, that's the the. I think you tweeted out how like that rivalry is. Oh bad. yeah, that rivalry is hundred percent bad. It was so fun, man. I think that's the rivalry of the two thousand tens. Oh yeah, just based on especially early like not 
yeah, pretty much. I would say from like 2012 to 14. Yeah. Then once they Kaepernick and Harbaugh start slipping, but even so, like even like there was some CJ so Beathard games yeah. where like it came down to the wire and whatnot, uh-huh. and then it got good again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. But I'm going with, with the Eagles. Who are you going with? I'm going with Seattle. I think just Philly's secondary is a major concern, and Wilson will capitalize on. It. I think this could be a huge game for Tyler Lockett. They're using Lockett a lot more in a slot now which made a big difference against San Fran. I think they're going to continue doing that. I know just from our interview with Danny Kelly, he was talking about the concern of just not letting Russ loose, you know, dealing with Brian Schoenheimer. But I think at some point they're going to realize, like, okay, first of all, you can't run on Philly. Philly has one of the best run defense in the league. So at some point it's like, okay, just give Russ the ball and let him do the thing. And I would assume they learned their, from their mistakes from last year after just how abysmal they were against Dallas, especially just, you know, the conservatism. Like, if you're going to beat Philly – Go at their corners, and they have the receivers to do so. So I'm gonna believe in them with that, and I think their defense could make some time and plays. I think KJ Wright's starting to play some of his best football, which you know he's been a little bit injured for the past few years. And I really like Shaquille Griffin, who's healthy now. So between that, I'm not sure about Clowney stats, but I think Seattle will make enough plays to win an entertaining slop fest. That's what I'm coining this to be. So yeah, I think of all the four games, this one is the most unpredictable. Like this one, I just think, like, oh, anything could really happen. Yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah, yeah I feel you on that. A, p- a part of me wants Seattle to win just so I can see that matchup against San Fran. Seattle is so, so good, man. Mm-hmm. Just Plus, I feel like Philly could get destroyed by San Fran. Oh, it could get up. Yeah. Well, Seattle just somehow pulls out because Russ. Russ yeah, gonna yeah. Ru- Russ is going to keep you in games, man. I think, I think Russ has only lost by double digits, I think, three times in his career. I know Falcons, that 2016 year, they blew him out. Right. So that was one. And well, that Carolina game in 2015, but they came back in that. I don't know what the final score was, but remember, they yeah, were they, they were down like 27 nothing, and they did come back. Yeah. But then ultimately, they yeah. So maybe no, those are right. some of the losses. All right, cool, uh, guys. You can find me at the Lamb Show on all social media outlets. You can find you can find Alan. Where can they find you? Alan underscore Stirk. That's A double L E N underscore S T R K. And you can find Veterans Minimum on all social media outlets at Veterans Minimum. Uh, the Patreon, the Facebook, the LinkedIn, the Twitter, the s- everything, YouTube. You can watch this stuff on YouTube too. We're going to be pumping out some original content on there. And uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this super duper fun interview with our guy Danny Kelly from The Ringer Bay Bay. All right, I think one of the coolest things about having a show and being able to build a, a following over the years is being able to talk with some people that you're really down with their work and their content. And, uh, this guy right here, man, he's one of my guys over at the ringer, Danny Kelly, uh, fantasy football guru, NFL enthusiast, uh, draft specialist. Now he claimed that title last year, right? Daddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, oh. Jack of all trades, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Swiss army knife, man. That's not a bad yeah, thing. There you go. There yeah. you go. Thank you for coming on the show, first and foremost, man. Uh, li- like I mentioned, you know, I'm a big fan of your stuff. It's always cool to get to chop it up with people the, that I'm a fan of. And, yeah, welcome, man. Welcome to VM. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun, fun season. It's kind of – it's always funny because the, the season is just so grueling. And, and now that I'm doing draft stuff, it's, like, not even the end of it. So I'm just trying to, like, keep my head above water for a couple more months. But, yeah, it's uh, – been a kind of a crazy season a quick day there are you slightly disappointed that we didn't try to introduce you like danny heifetz by screaming your name off the top of our lungs (laughs) 
No, I mean, it is, it's a good way to get me kind of hyped up because uh, if, if you if ever listen to the Dynasty podcast, he's the energy guy, and I'm kind of like the really low-key guy, so that's like a, it's a good way to get me going, but uh, I don't require that for all my interests, but yeah. I got to ask you because you live out in Seattle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, what is that like? Because I went up, uh, I went to school in Buffalo for two years, <laughs> and uh, we were kind of talking about this beforehand. But you know, I remember when I was in in school, they were talking about how you know Buffalo is one of like the more depressing places in the country because <laughs> it's like yeah. always darker. I remember I played I played football at Buffalo State, and I would go into football meetings, and it's like 75, 80 degrees. You're chilling in a tank top. You get out at eight thirty, nine o'clock, and it's fifty. It's like yeah. 30, 40 degree <laughs> swings. So uh, what's it like living out in the Pacific Northwest, man? Well, the summers here are amazing and like make it all worthwhile, I think. And spring's pretty good too, but man, it gets pretty sad in the winter. Um, it's just, it's not even the rain because like Seattle has a, has a reputation for being really rainy. I don't even think it's the rain that bugs me. It's just very gray all the time. And I think that's why it gets kind of that reputation as being like everyone's depressed here and stuff. Um, it definitely doesn't help either that it's one of the most expensive cities <laughs> to live in in the U.S. That, I think well, I don't know if it's the whole U.S., but certainly the West Coast. It's just, I mean, it's just ridiculously expensive. So I actually live, I, I moved about two years ago to a city called Bellingham, about an hour north of Seattle after living in Seattle for about 15 years. We just couldn't handle the, the price of living anymore. I remember when you, because you first started SB Nation, then you went to the Ringer. I remember first yeah. checking out the Ringer back in like 2016. You're like a staff writer. You did a couple of like videos with them, and you know you were generally on the podcast. What made you shift more towards a fantasy-based uh, podcast? Because I'm just curious, like, what was the process between you and then getting someone like Danny Heifetz and just the creation of that? Because as you know, fantasy sports is in demand now. But yeah. I, I remember just seeing your come up and you're just more like more of a technical writer, just someone that like to talk about NFL in general. What made you want to yeah. get more into fantasy? I think it was like a lot of it is just like, I'm really interested in fantasy and really love and obsessed with fantasy. So that's like been a big part of it. Cause the, the best part about the ringer is they want you to write about what you're interested in and what you like. And so I think that's a big part of the reason that they did it. And obviously there was a, a, a hole in our coverage for fantasy stuff because fantasy is just so big. So it just kind of worked out that I think I did like a year um, where I was doing like a regular fantasy article every week. And then they decided to add a podcast. And so hopefully that continues to grow because just had a lot of fun doing the fantasy stuff. This season I got really into Dynasty too, so... At some point, I'd love to talk more about Dynasty, um, that podcast, and kind of expand there. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of a combination of really interested in it and obsessed with it, and they needed someone to write about it, so I kind of stepped in. You could never do IDP, right? That's too hardcore? No, I've never done it. I, I wouldn't be the expert because I just don't know. <laughs> I really actually don't know how it works that much. Like, you know, I wouldn't want to pretend to give advice on something I don't actually do. So yeah, I've, I've never gotten into IDP leagues and I don't really see myself doing that though. I have kind of expanded into different formats like DFS and two, two quarterback leagues. And you know, there's different like tight end premium leagues and things like that. I've tried to expand into doing those types of things, but um, probably never going to get into IDP. Do you guys do IDP? Definitely not. So, so the first year, I'm in a league with uh, some childhood friends. We're about 12 years we've been doing it. We all grew up together and whatnot. But what's funny is the first year, and I'm the commissioner of it, and I've won it it back to back, and it doesn't go over well with all my friends because 
Uh, yeah. I'm like a king troll, man. I, I've, I've, I shot a, maybe it's my fault. If you remember the Michael Jordan commercial when LeBron didn't win the title, the first year he went to Miami, I did like a parody of that. And it was just like, <laughs> they hated it. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is because the first every year we did it, I knew nothing about fantasy. This is like 2006, 2007. Dude, we did like IDP and we had oh Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Patrick Willis was there. And I remember uh, I missed the playoffs because we had a head coach bonus where if you pick the head coach and they oh. won, you got five <laughs> points. And like oh it was like a week twelve game, and I ended up a week thirteen, I should say. And yeah, it just gets too funky, man. It's it's just crazy. Yeah. I, I can't even yeah. give. I'm just like you. I can't give advice on that. Kind Ho- of stuff. I hope you didn't have Jeff Fisher as your coach. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Th- thank I God. Don't I, like to, I don't like to get into crazy formats too much because it, it helps a lot to have. Just for instance, like it helps to have a, a knowledge base on like who's really really good in PPR, you know, and mm. so. There's different formats that you have to master before I think you can really expand to other stuff and have like that like foundational knowledge of like you know ADP and 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 all that stuff that goes into being a fantasy analyst. You have to kind of feel like you have to have that as your foundation if you try and get into other stuff that you know other formats that are much less popular or, or sort of more niche or whatever. It's just it's just very difficult. You mentioned DFS before in passing. Do you dabble in DFS at all? Yeah, we dabble. I wouldn't say it's like a huge, huge part of my life, um, but um, we talk about DFS on, we have two shows a year, or sorry, two shows a week, uh, and we talk about our fan, fan duel lineups and, and things like that, and so it's something I want to like continue to, to grow in, in my knowledge base and things like that, but um, it's it, yeah, it's, it's a fun thing to kind of... I, I like doing season long. I really like doing dynasty and then having like your DFS lineup every week. It gives you a really good like cross section of different styles and, and different like strategies and things like that. And it, I like the DFS especially because you can kind of look at matchups and mm. specific team matchups and specific player matchups, and you don't have to worry about like waivers and all that stuff. You can just pick the players that you like. So it, it's definitely a fun part of it too. Man, my best advice for it, because I've been playing it when DraftKings used to, I mean, there used to be a website in like 2013 called Draft Street. So I've been playing mm-hmm. DFS for many years. Nice. It is a completely different animal. Like, oh, yeah. And you oh, mentioned yeah. that, you know, like it's it's very matchup based. It's also like you got to play the, um, well, if this guy's the number one waiver wire across all the sites or like if you put out your waiver rankings and you're like, you got to go get... Um, Rashad Perriman. Rashad Perriman, right? Well, you know yeah. he's going to be ultra popular in tournaments, and there's merit to fading him. And the right. thing you mentioned about matchups, the, the the simplest way for people to understand the difference is, you know, you take you take Ezekiel Elliott number one overall in your draft. You're never going to bench him, right? But right. If, if they play, if they play in. Um, who was really good against? Like Tampa Bay was Tampa stout. Bay. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So like, if they play in Tampa Bay. You know, in daily fantasy, I'd probably fade him because he's also going to be an expensive player totally. and he's a big yeah. name. But like in yearly, there's no chance in hell I'm benching him. Yeah. So that's like the that's best. What, that's what I love about DFS too is like you literally can have any player if you you know budget it right. So it's it's just a, it's a, it like I said it's a different beast. It's so hard and it's like you got to be really really sharp and and it's it's like hitting you have to hit three or four guys at least to you know even break even or whatever. So. Um, but it's really, really fun at the same time, and, and I love the strategy of it all. Last question on the fantasy stuff, man, and then we'll get into some real-life football. 
What's the what's like the weirdest interaction you've had with a fan with a take you've had, whether it's on Twitter or in person? Because I know for a fact you've been high on someone and they've given someone two point three points and they've let you have it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, you always run the risk on like, you know, touting a guy in the week and then him just completely busting. And um, there's an element of like being hesitant to, to do sit start questions because you don't know people's leagues you don't know their teams and you don't know you know a lot of the what have you's that, that are necessary to kind of make those determinations i'd say the the funniest instance i had with a fan a guy recognized me in a restaurant this was like two years ago i think he, re- he re- recognized me in a restaurant so i was like super nice it was very cool to be recognized um, and then he asked me like a sit start question. I told him, I think I gave him the advice to start Tariq Cohen. I can't remember who it was. And then Cohen just totally busted that week. So I was like, well, that was a bummer. Like the one time you get recognized in public and you completely <laughs> blow it. So hopefully that guy still, uh, still reads my stuff. Uh, to transition, I want to quickly touch on the draft because you've now shifted over to that. And it's just, as you know, with Twitter, Draft Twitter could be a very crazy place. I'm just curious, how did you make that transition? Because, you know, watching football on Sunday, but then also trying to keep track of the drafts on Saturday, you know, trying to evaluate yeah. prospects. It's so demanding. So what made you want to pursue that? Well, I, I did it at SB Nation. I did a lot of draft stuff. And I, I've been going to the Combine for, you know, I don't even know, for years, like seven or eight years. And so I've always been really, 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 really into the draft. I kind of got out of, like, real heavy draft coverage when I started at the ringer, um, just doing more NFL wide stuff, generally speaking. And then, um, last year, you know, just kind of, I, I gradually gotten more into the draft over the last couple of years. And then last year they had me do a draft guide. So dove, dove in head first again to kind of get back into it. Um, it's definitely hard to balance because I'm doing fantasy and NFL during the regular season and then trying to, keep up with you know what's going on with college and, and, and draft eligible guys and all that so it's definitely a lot to sort of juggle um but at this point in, in the season is when i start to like really get you know head down into the draft and starting to write my scouting reports and do all that so um you know i think it's it's, it's a challenge but it's super fun and i really love the draft like it's one of my favorite things to do is like study these guys and so um i also think it's just really helpful to study the draft because then you know so many people across the NFL over the years, if you're like, if you're really, really heavy into the draft, like, you know, the whole foundation of the NFL pretty much. And so, um, I just think it's a great way to, to expand your knowledge of the league. And in general, it's just super fun. I really like the draft. I love, you know, studying these guys. And a lot of the, like the skill guys are all related to fantasy too, like dynasty leagues mm-hmm. too. So there's kind of a lot of overlap there too. Quick thing, was it you were amazed that was going crazy over George Kill? I remember someone from the ringer just wouldn't stop talking about George Kill going to that draft. <laughs> I think that was amazing. He's been on that guy since like the very beginning and absolutely loved him. And I, I don't even know how Kittle went as a fifth round pick. Like there was no reason for him to be a fifth round pick. He was a dominant college blocker and absolute stud athlete. And it was just really surprising that he fell that far. I don't I don't exactly get what the NFL was thinking in that. No, don't worry, I'm a Giant fan, and they took Evan Ingram over him. That was the yeah. same draft. Well, what Mays, Mays tweeted out, he, uh, Adam Jaheen went over George Kittle, so I think he has more reasons to be aggrieved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Seahawks took Tedrick Thompson, the safety, uh, like a few picks before Kittle, and I remember people were really pissed out at the time, and, and definitely yeah, it did not turn out well in the Seahawks' favor. Could use a guy like Kittle right now. 
You know, Danny, you, so you've been in you've been in Seattle for 15 years now, was it? Or yeah, I lived. I well, I grew up in this area. Oh, I okay. lived in Seattle proper for like 15 years, and just been in the area for my whole life. So I uh, I've been a Seahawks guy forever. Right. And, all right. So you're you're a perfect person to ask this because I feel like for many years I've been on the Russell Wilson is working, like obviously uh, Russ Magic and whatnot, but. Dude, I feel yeah. like he's been super underappreciated for the longest time. And, like, the last two years, he's finally – like, the, the the NFL fan that's, like, the purist and, like, does the deep dive stuff like you do, like we do over here. We always appreciate Russell Wilson. But when do you think it, it translated to, like, a, a national level of saying, you know what, this guy's really a top five guy? Because even when they won the Super Bowl, you had the people saying, well, it's Marshawn's team or it's the Legion right. of Boom. So when do you think that transition happened? Because I think – I think he's like a, a top five quarterback of, of this past decade. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it, it's just, honestly, it takes so, so long for, I guess, like draft position and a lot of the biases and, and sort of like stereotypes that people use. So I have obviously short and, you know, there's probably still people that say like spout like, you know, the talking points about him not being able to see over his line and stuff like that, which is, you know, there there are certain instances where he can't see, but it's absolutely not been, like, a major factor in his career. And so um, I think it just takes a really, really long time for him to not only, I guess, for people to kind of get over those preconceived notions, but also his draft position as a third rounder. You know, I think people are still, like, looking at him. And some people, at least in the last few years, are still looking at him as, like, a game manager and all that. Can't carry the offense on his own, which is, I think, been proven wrong absolutely over the last few seasons and, you know, even further back. So it's just one of those things that, you know, why do people why, – why were people so obsessed with Andrew Luck for so long? He was the, he was the chosen one. He was the first overall pick, I think. Um, you know, it goes the other direction, too, where if you're a third-round pick and you're short, people kind of just never forgive you for that or never forget about it. Um, and I think it also, you know, definitely was a factor that he was on a team early in his career with, like, a le- historically good defense. For, for four straight seasons, they were one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL. Um, and Marshawn Lynch was a very big personality very very one of the best running backs of his generation type guy and so there's all those factors going around a lot of huge huge personalities on that team and um i think it was just hard for people to kind of accept that he was a huge part of their success even though um he absolutely was one of the more polarizing draft prospects was the dk metcalf i had no idea what to expect him of him going into the year just he heard about oh God, what's his route tree like? Is he gonna be able to separate? Can he, how are his hands? Yeah. How impressive have you been with him? Because it's I've been shocked to see how much of a playmaker he's become. Yeah, I think he was my I believe he was my I'm just looking it up right now. He's my second highest receiver in my draft guide last year. So I feel like I've been vindicated a little bit already with that because um, he was certainly he was very very hotly contested sort of you know guy that couldn't run like couldn't turn there's so many memes on twitter of seeing him like he turns like an aircraft carrier mm-hmm. and there's there's no way around it he actually is like a slow turner that 49ers <laughs> so, game i don't know if you remember uh the the first one monday night he like a caught i think it was like a i don't know a crosser and he just he couldn't turn and he got tackled he should have yeah. like a 10-yard game but it was like a seven-yard game <laughs> so i think you 
that's like a factor, and that's something that's always just going to be there for him. But the way that the Seahawks, and I said this right when the Seahawks took him, I'm like, this was the perfect fit for him to excel at what he does best and why. Like the way that the Seahawks run their offense, they're very you know play action heavy. They like they like to get him going deep. I think he's always had um, you know just like absolute insane acceleration off the line, and that's like the biggest part of him. He's obviously really big too, but he can get off the line so fast. It's like um, you know RC car acceleration, and so that gives him a huge huge advantage right off the line. And then obviously he's big. Um, you know they can throw it up for him. He's he's had a few drops here and there this season, which was a, a you know, a concern coming into the season, but um, for the most part, the inability for him to run like a sub seven three cone is absolutely not been an issue. It's you know he's big on slants; he can get behind the defense on play action. He's a big red zone threat. He has very good catch radius. Um, all those things, and, and he's only scratching the surface of his potential. He's still young. He's still um, you know based on some of his stats, like he, he's trending in a in a direction to be a superstar in this league, and so. Um, I think obviously it helps, helps a lot to be paired with Russell Wilson in, in the Seahawks offense because I think he's the perfect fit for it. But um, it's it's definitely cool to see him thrive. And, and AJ Brown is another guy that's mm-hmm. like in the same mold. I think AJ Brown's obviously better player and will have like a better career probably. But um, I think Metcalf's in that same style where like he uses his size and and rare size speed combination to to beat like smaller defenders. And um, so yeah, it's. It, Good landing spots for both of those guys, ultimately. Yeah, and it's crazy that they both went to the same school. And I was super outspoken during the draft process about how I, I really liked A.J. Brown's game as opposed to Metcalf because, yeah. man, he, he he just looks like an Instagram model, right? Like, that dude is, like, so <laughs> shredded. He's He probably has the nicest body in the league, right? And. <laughs> And like yeah. it just didn't it just didn't look like he could be a, a a wide receiver kind of like you know obviously the the cone drill was like the one that he got the most heat right. for and and even in college he wasn't like overly productive too but yeah I, I I'll admit that I took a, a major L on that one I do want to mention about this Eagles matchup on on Sunday um, are you how do you feel about rematches of games that you saw in the regular season because they did play earlier this year they did play in Philadelphia. I think it was like a 17-10 game. Yeah, but Seattle, yeah. I think, dominated. Like, didn't Philly like score like a garbage time touchdown last 30 seconds? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Seahawks basically dominated the game. Did the typical Seahawks thing where they don't put a team away. Mm. And so sort of like the end, the final score kind of makes it feel closer than it actually was. But, um, yeah, they dominated that game. They ran for like 180 yards or something like that. They completely controlled the game on the ground. This, this week, I don't know if they'll be able to do that because, you know, they're missing their left tackle. Dwayne Brown, I think, is not going to play. And then they are – Chris Carson's on the IR. Rashad Penny's on the IR. They just signed Marshawn Lynch, who, you know, obviously loved Lynch, and he looked pretty good, all things considered, last week. But I don't know if he's got the, you know, the ability to necessarily put the offense on his back at this point, you know, one game in or whatever. We'll see, but – I just think that's probably less likely. And so um, I don't put a ton of stock into the whole rematch thing. I think obviously there's stats that point to, you know, it's always harder to win the second time when you play a team because you kind of learn a little bit about each other. But um, I think that sort of goes both ways for for both teams. And so um, I don't necessarily think that's a major, major factor. I think it's just more going to be like, are they going to let what Russell Wilson kind of do what he can do? Or are they going to try and stubbornly, you know, 
be themselves and be the identity that they want to be and run the ball. And, and if they can't have success with that early on, are they going to be able to adapt? Because that's what I'm more worried about is, is will the Seahawks try and, you know, quote, establish the run? And if they can't, are they going to be willing to adapt and sort of start attacking the, the Eagles' defense, the, their defensive secondary especially, which has been a huge, huge vulnerability for them this year. So I really just hope they let Russell Wilson kind of loose a little bit in this game. We saw last year against the, the Cowboys in the wild card round, the Seahawks really just kind of blew their chance to, to move into the divisional round because they were too stubbornly starting to try and run the ball and all that. So um, that's my biggest worry is, you know, this Eagles team is so banged up, but the Seahawks probably – but I'm worried that the Seahawks won't kind of like cut it loose. Man, it's it's crazy that you mentioned the like unleashing Russell Wilson because going back a little bit to what we talked about with the daily fantasy stuff, Russ is always like the most expensive quarterback on the slate for the most part. When like I mean, when Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes is up on there, sure he's not, but he's always in that discussion. And a lot of times it's exactly what you say when I'm doing my my breakdowns and trying to build lineups. I'm like. Is this going to turn into a shootout? Because I yeah. love Russ in a shootout. Like, this dude is a baller, man. And I love Lockett. Hollister is like a thing now. And he's been cutting yeah. teams. And and we talked about Metcalf. And shit, Malik Turner was catching third down conversions on that Sunday, <laughs> on that Monday night football yeah. game. So, dude, it's so true. When they want to, it's as if Russell Wilson needs to just say, hey, guys, I got this. Can you just, like, let me play some, you know, schoolyard <laughs> BS out there? So I, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. It's funny because when they do the two-minute drill and like do like hurry-up offense, where Russell Wilson is like literally calling the plays and getting people set up and, and doing what he wants to do, like almost invariably they just move the ball at will. And so it's just so fr- it's been really frustrating as a Seahawks fan, basically Wilson's whole career. Um, you know that they haven't been willing to unleash him a little bit more and. and I mean, I'll admit, I think Wilson thrives. It's kind of like the Ryan Tannehill thing. Like, he thrives in a system where he has a running game at his back, and they do a lot of play action. And, you know, all that stuff certainly helps Wilson and would help any quarterback in the NFL. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, he's I think he's good enough to, to carry the offense, and when he gets going, when they get him in a rhythm and give him – you know, more than just this random cursory drop back every third down or whatever. I think that he can really just, you know, the the expression in Seattle is let Russ cook. Mm. And we just really, man, I just really hope they kind of let him be himself and and go out there and and play a little schoolyard style, you know. But Pete Carroll is just so, so conservative and always has been. Um, I think it's one of those things where I should probably just stop hoping for it because it's never going to (laughs) happen. Uh, my final question is about Jadavion Clowney because, as you know, he's one of the more polarizing players. Someone that always stands out on film, but the production has never been quite there. What did you make of the trade at first what happened and just his first year? Uh, have you been yeah. satisfied or has it been a little underwhelming? I think, you know, I thought it was a good trade. The Seahawks didn't give up a ton. They gave up some, you know, one sort of developmental pass rusher in Jacob Martin. I think he's played well for the Texans, but... I don't know if he has superstar potential or not, but and then I think it was like a third round or something. It wasn't a huge, huge. Well, thing did, to didn't give they give up a Mingo too? Like, come on, you can't give a Mingo. <laughs> yeah, Mingo. I think has played like I don't know. Has he even played at all for the? For I heard the like thirteen Texans? snaps. I heard like Steve Pozzola <laughs> yeah. at PFF was like, yeah, he's played thirteen snaps in three games. I'll be honest Honestly, with you guys. Yeah, I have. I had no idea he was on the Texans. Like that guy's been on yeah. like four different teams in in two years. Barkevius. Oh boy. Yeah, so I, 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 first of all, I didn't hate the trade 
Um, or I, I actually liked the trade a lot because at the time it, it didn't feel like they were giving up a ton to get a guy who they absolutely needed. Their their pass rush is very very thin. You know they were leaning on a guy like Ziggy Ansah who has not been very good this year. He's been hurt for a big chunk of it. And um, LJ Collier, their first round pick, has not done anything like literally anything. I think he has like three tackles this season. Um, so they absolutely needed to make that trade and. and you know, going out and getting uh, at least, you know, top one or two tier type pass rusher in the NFL, you know, you have to go do that in that situation, I think. And so in that sense, I was I was fine with the trade. I like it. I do think it's been a little bit underwhelming at times, but he's been dealing with a core injury that's really slowed him down over the last like month or so. Um, the first time the Seahawks played the 49ers, so I think it was like week nine or ten or something like that, like in the mid middle part of the season, he like had the most dominant game of any defensive end I've almost that. ever seen. He completely took over that game. So I think that was sort of the platonic ideal of what you want Clowney to be, and if the Seahawks end up signing him, it'll be because they envisioned that kind of domination from him going forward when he's healthy. Um but, I mean, it's just been the story of his career. is like you just kind of wonder if he can really play at that level all the time and, and consistently and, and stay healthy consistently and all that. So um, I think the Seahawks will try and refine him. <clears throat> I think the other thing that they really love about him is that he's a, an elite run defender, which is a huge deal to Pete Carroll. He wants to make teams one-dimensional. And so Clowney brings that. If, even if it's not like a huge sack number that he's given you, he's, he's, he's a three-down player who can – dominate against the run and create some pressure as a pass rusher so um, I think they love him but it's going to be interesting to see if they you know are willing to give him top tier money based on what's been a pretty up and down season Danny my last question man I hope it doesn't get you in trouble with the higher ups over at the ringer but I'm (laughs) I'm of a believer that I think the run for the Patriots is done Um, (laughs) I think like what's their I've been talking to my friends, right? Because I'm a degenerate. I like to dabble in uh, some financial investments in the sports market. And I I really like the Titans this week. And yeah. my friends are all like, yo, you're betting against the Patriots. You're an idiot. And I'm like, dude, if you just eliminate the fact that it's New England, like, why are they going to win this game? Like, right. I, th- right. what's their best win this year? The two games against Buffalo? The Dallas win doesn't look that good. Like, I think this is a team that in the beginning their defense was, oh, it's an all-time defense. It's like, yeah, congratulations. You beat up on on uh, Sam Donald, Case Keenum, <laughs> and a bunch of scrubs. And look, I- I'm a Giants fan. Daniel Jones, I'm on board. Why not? We have a we have a quarterback that's not a corpse back there. So, <laughs> But, you know, it's a rookie quarterback, and he went into Foxborough. And it's like, yeah, your defense was doing great. But then w- when you played Deshaun Watson, you kind of get exposed. You play Pat Mahomes, yeah. you get exposed. You get exposed by Lamar Jackson. I mean, yeah. the Fitzpatrick thing—that's that, an ugly loss. That's the that's the worst loss as far as like uh, the biggest underdog in the last like twenty years in the NFL. Miami winning outright <laughs> in a game that New England needed. You know, like the two seed yep. was up for grabs. So, how are you feeling about the the Titans Patriots game and just like this run for the Pats? Because, I mean, poetic justice would be if they win this week and then they lose in Kansas City. That would be, and that's like the last dagger and you kind of, the passing of the torch to a guy like Mahomes, but you know, I I don't want you to get in trouble with the higher ups at the ringer though. (laughs) I'm definitely not going to get in trouble with that. I actually wrote about the Patriots yesterday or today, I think it published and I mean, it kind of wrote like 
along the same lines. Like to me, the the inevitability of the Patriots, it, it doesn't feel like they're inevitable anymore. Because you know how every season is like, oh god, the freaking Patriots are going to be in the Super Bowl again. It's going to suck. It's going to be boring. Like I'm just sick of seeing that. And to me, they don't feel inevitable at all anymore, which is a big departure from I think previous seasons. The other thing is like. This is the first season in a while where it feels like it'd actually be surprising if they went to the Super Bowl. Like, there's just too many things stacked against them this season. Like, their offense is just bad, you know, at least relative to what it normally is. Like, Tom Brady's just not on the same page with his receivers. Their run game hasn't been as dominant as it was. Like, late last season, their run game caught fire, and they started doing some incredible things with, like, scheme and, and getting – they would run, I think, you know, like, four like, – eight or nine different styles of schemes in any one given game. It makes them very, very difficult to uh, to prepare for. You just haven't seen them kind of do the same thing this season. So I think their offense is bad, like worse than you'd even expect, and their special teams has not been as reliable as, as it typically is. Obviously, their kickers hurt, so that's a big factor late in games. And even their defense, like you said, their, their, their defense that looks – legendarily good early in the season um, has faded at times. They, they don't have a signature win this season against a good team. So um, I guess you could say that they did beat the Bills twice, right? So that's definitely a good thing. But um, yeah, I mean, they basically, they lost to a lot of the teams in the AFC that you think are going to be good, like challengers. And, and so I don't know. I, I'm not super confident for the Patriots in this playoffs. I think you, you're right that they could win this week and then have to go to KC. And that would make an already kind of sketchy uh, pass offense even worse. Cause then they got to deal with the noise. Um, but yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they lost to, to, to the Titans in this one. I think the Titans are kind of like a band, uh, a bandsaw right now, not bust, a buzzsaw is what I was looking for. Um, just the way that their offense is playing right now, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won that game. Danny, we appreciate you coming on. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you and what else you got cooking? Because obviously, draft coming. I think you have a mock draft 3.0 that just recently came out. I, I posted my first mock draft, I think it was like a week or two ago. I haven't started the second one quite oh. yet. I got the, I'm starting on some, some uh, scouting reports. We're going to have the first 32 scouting reports on the website um, senior bowl week. So look for that going forward. And then, you know, in the meantime, do the Danacy football podcast, we're doing DFS stuff for the playoffs. And then, um, yeah, just basically, you know, recaps and, and preview pieces for the playoffs at the ringer.com. Danny Kelly, you're the man. I appreciate your work. I appreciate your time. We kept you a little longer than usual, but I have to get that dig in at the Patriots because, you know, <laughs> my, my team has beaten the Pats, so no harm, no foul on my own. I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna bring up the Falcons, but yeah, you get the idea, folks. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk about the Seahawks either, unfortunately. Uh, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate your time. All right, thanks, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.